Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the International Biodynamic Guild podcast. I'm your host, Will Bratton. Today, we're joined by Tobias Bondell. After studying agricultural science at the University of Hohenheim, Tobias spent several years as head of fruit and vegetable cultivation and sales at Sikkim in Egypt, a well-known and respected biodynamic operation. In 2007, he co-founded and led the sustainability consultancy Soil and More Impacts, focusing on agricultural advice, climate strategy, and true cost accounting. In early 2022, Soil and More Impacts was taken over by the Sustainable AG Group as part of a restructuring process. Tobias currently works for the Land Banking Group and advises individuals, startups, and companies on the topics of regenerative agriculture and impact assessment. Now, before we get into the interview, I'd like to take a moment to promote some fellow nonprofits. These aren't advertisements and we aren't being paid. Nobody even asked us to do this. We're just doing it because we think it's important. If you're interested in these subjects, please head over to Steiner Books at steinerbooks.org and pick up a stack of books. If you're going to be doing any biodynamic farming or gardening, please head over to the Josephine Porter Institute for Applied Biodynamics at jpibiodynamics.org and purchase all of your preparations. And of course, please consider joining the International Biodynamic Guild at biodynamicguild.org. Thank you for your consideration, and now to the interview. Tobias, thank you for joining us. Hi, well, well pleasure. Happy New Year to everybody. Um, great to be here. Happy New Year. Uh, so um, tell us how uh, and where you got into this, this kind of subject. Where'd you get started? Well, actually, it uh, goes way back. Um, I attended uh, the Waldorf School in uh, Germany, Stuttgart, so I was um, a bit exposed, let's say, to uh, sustainable ways of farming, organic food, etc. But it was more like, you know, as a as a child, as a as a student, um, you you were absorbing it, you were um, like uh, realizing it more or less as you as you grow up. But then, um, basically, I decided uh, to go after school for. 18 months to Sekem in Egypt. Uh, back at then, at that stage in Germany, you still had to do a either army service or civil service, as we called it. So I decided to do the the civil, the peace works, which then, as said, uh, took me to to Egypt, um, where I first really got um, uh, got exposed to, let's say, biodynamic farming at scale. And um, yeah, in this uh, in, in this period. Uh, basically, my observation from being a Waldorf kid and consuming a bit of organic and biodynamic food, I really got, let's say, into the weeds and see, okay, how that actually all works, like from the field, small scale, large scale, composting, and then the whole food process, processing, how that works. Um, and uh, yeah, I specifically fell in love with the topic of um, of composting and, let's say, waste management. Because I saw this miracle happening in the desert that a pretty um, hostile environment being the Egyptian desert, um, how this can actually be converted into a um, thriving, lush green environment, uh, not only uh, showing nice flowers and and, uh, and lovely and healthy crops, but also providing a lot of jobs for the local communities. Um, so by seeing, okay, by actually, you know, using what some people call waste, which is like um, rice straw, cow manure, chicken manure, food waste, like by putting this through this uh, magic uh, process called composting, that by basically upcycling this waste, um, you can actually um, recultivate the desert and, uh, and uh, yeah, sort of uh, kickstart life again. So that was really when it's when my whole passion 
started. Um, I then uh, attended uh, some courses in soil science, uh, did my uh, Bachelor of Science with a focus on soil science at the University of Hohenheim in Germany after the civil service in, in, in Egypt. But then went back to Egypt and um, complemented my work in the farming part with, um, with export sales, um, where I then uh, got a sort of complementary passion, like apart from or next to this love to soil and compost, um, I uh, realized how, how much appreciated basically this whole work we do in Egypt um, is in the market um, because yeah we were not only organic and fair trade but also um, biodynamic building schools, kindergartens, medical centers. So the customers really loved us um, and uh, sends us uh, sent us tons of questionnaires and audits and assessments and said if you do this audit then you're really going to be our hero. So we did all this, um, but then every now and then it happened that they came back to us when it uh, when it uh, was time of shipment saying it's great that we did all this work and please send pictures you know of the flowering strips or the trees we planted or the school we built but sorry to tell you that although this is really relevant work um and yeah your neighbor is not doing anything of it but um he offers us the same food two cent cheaper mm -hmm. that's why you're gonna buy from there and that's sort of um, where like, the building blocks for what I'm getting up uh, these days, uh, what gets me out of bed in the mornings uh, is to, on the one hand, know the beauty and, and, and yeah, miracle of fertile soil through composting, um, but then also knowing unless we show that there's also an economic value to it, it's going to be very, very hard to actually scale it. And um, that's where we are. Well, then what happened after Sikkim? Well, after SICAM, I, uh, I realized, um, first of all, that uh, SICAM needs to expand. We need to bring this uh, story out to the world. Um, and um, that was linked a bit to consulting work, to ambassadorship, let's call it that way. So um, back then, which was early 27, so 2007, together with a good friend, um, also from the biodynamic space, uh, Volker Engelsmann, founder of uh, EOSTA in Holland, together with him, another um, person called Art van den Bosch, we started Soil and More, a consulting firm, basically um, conveying the message of uh, composting at large scale, at small scale, um, to the world, to many farmers around the globe. Um, and really everywhere like from uh southeast asia india china but also all all over africa and latin america and, and a bit the us um and at that stage um if you remember 2007 there was still this whole idea of carbon credits and emission reduction just uh just uh, um sort of um, evolving and we thought okay well if if there's a solution to climate change then it must be biodynamic farming um and this uh beauty, this uh, thin layer of 30, minutes, 30 centimeters of topsoil, which continuously sequesters carbon. So um, this is our time. Now we need to show the world that we are part of the solution as biodynamic farmers. Um, uh, we can sequester carbon. And if there is uh, payments for that, uh, we should get them. So um, that was one of the very early activities um, we did in, um, uh, in soil and water on the one hand helped farmers around the planet. Um, to basically not throw away or burn their crop residues, um, but actually um, put them through the composting process using different techniques, including beneficial microbes, but also um, 
um, document that process in a way that complies with the uh, regulations uh, of the United Nations Framework of Convention on Climate Change to basically allow them to access the carbon markets. So we did this initially um, purely linked through composting. We set up larger scale composting facilities in, uh, in Egypt, uh, South Africa, Mexico, Ethiopia, India, um, where annually around about uh, 50 to 100,000 tons, metric tons of compost was produced and an equal amount of, um, of carbon credits was generated. And the cool thing really was that uh, through the sales of those carbon credits, which are very well come from the market, because, you know, all these uh, food companies, they were actually able to offset their emissions within their own supply chain through these composting projects. That through the additional revenues of those carbon credits, these composting projects were actually able to offer the compost cheaper than chemical fertilizer. Because you sort of internalized the positive externalities and were able to, to capitalize on, um, on the benefits. And that brought me, obviously, uh, at the first stage, very close um, to this uh, motivation I mentioned in the beginning to, to see, okay, or to, to realize that unless we show there is an economic benefit to sustainable, to regenerative, to biodynamic farming, unless we show that economic benefit, it, it won't scale. And that was the first sort of proof of concept um, to basically uh, yeah, show that it's not just uh, philanthropy and, you know, wishful thinking, uh, but it's, uh, it is at its core not only environmentally and socially, but also economically the most viable option of, um, of soil and land management. So um, that was uh, initially the, um, let's say, the purpose of, of Soil and More as a consulting firm linking soil fertility, compost management with, with carbon credits, carbon markets. But obviously farming offers much more um, being a holistic system than carbon. So we also went into water biodiversity assessments, comprehensive sustainability reporting. We, together with a few food companies, launched um, a concept called the Sustainability Flower, where inspired by, um, by biodynamic uh, farming, um, Demeter, threefold order of the organism, sort of uh, a, a, yeah, com a um, holistic concept of sustainability assessments of uh, farm supply chains but also food companies where um and i'm just mentioning here because i think it's crucial um we said okay sustainability as you would find it anywhere in the internet um is is uh, sort of uh, linked to ecological performance social performance economic performance we also added added the, the cultural dimension so we said okay next to environment economy and social there is also this cultural the spiritual aspect without um uh without it the uh, sustainability won't happen because it's not just a cooking recipe you need vision you need compassion you need you know some sort of spiritual leadership wherever it comes from to really truly develop something new which is also um rooted in the world agriculture uh, which we sometimes think i guess too much as it's just a agribusiness so that um that was a very um intense period of of around about 15 years at soil and more where together with my friends, I set up a team of um, 16, 17 experts. We had the great pleasure to travel the world, re really every corner of this planet, um, seeing small scale, large scale, organic, non-organic farmers. And um, I can honestly say that I saw at farming level um, much more good examples than bad examples. We read a lot in the news that farmers are actually part of the problem or the way of farming is is uh, is part of a problem but i saw a lot that it's actually much more part of the solution if you 
if you talk to farmers uh, or if you meet the farmers who actually farm in a way um, which is close to their to their heart. Obviously, there is a big industrial farms um, where you see some problems, but uh, the massive amount of small-scale farms in Africa, Asia, Latin America, they're actually doing a wonderful job, and it's uh, it's pretty close to what it what it should be. And those farmers, we should encourage, and that's what we try to do at um, at Soil and More by uh, providing them with access to modern modern or let's say modernized technologies of composting to do this more efficiently. Um, but also then to to document um, the way we farm the farm the way they farm in a way that they sort of can capitalize on it in the market through through carbon revenues, but also simply through um, better better narrative to tell the clients uh, all the benefits uh, which come along with um, with the products they supply to the market. So that was an ex- exciting period. Um, I'm very very thankful. Learned a lot. Um, met many great farmers, great companies. Um, and yeah, it it uh, it, uh, it gave me a lot of hope that actually change is possible and actually is happening as we speak. Excellent. <clears throat> and so you you have evolved beyond soil and more. What are you working on now? Yeah, I mean, towards the end of soil and more, um, we realized uh, because it's all learning journey, it's biography, um, so it never goes straight. Um, and uh, towards um, the end of my time at Soil and More, which started about in 2020, um, we had to do with uh, so many uh, data sets, etc. And we were bothering all these farmers with spreadsheets and, and questionnaires. We said, okay, we need to digitalize this a little bit more. Um, so uh, we started to develop software, raise some money. Um, yeah, and uh, then surprise, surprise, software development needs more time, more money. Um, plus, it wasn't really my my core passion yeah my my core passion actually is is soil and, and farming and farmers um so um i had to realize that uh, although it was very promising um that it uh, didn't work out so i had to let that go and also realize then with the age of 42 that um me but also above all the team of solemo deserves uh, also change in, in leadership uh, being or having solemo at the age of 14 14 years uh, we we build it up you know to have a bit of a change towards more professional uh, professionalism processes quality management etc not particularly my strength so um as part of a restructuring process i handed over um solemo um which was a painful process but that's i, I guess part of life um, but was very happy to um, to then had a bit of a break, um, did some um, reflection, and and realized that yeah I, I could do something different. But um, but I I'm just not done with this topic. I just still want to show that regenerative, biodynamic, organic, sustainable, you name it, land use is economically the most viable option because that's what I saw in the field. Um, and um, yeah, with this I. Um, uh, I, I just did some work, talked to many people, chartered accountants, banks, experts, etc., and finally ran into a couple, uh, Sonia and Martin Stuchte. Uh, he has a 20-year background at McKinsey. Uh, she's uh, coming from the tech space, and um, they basically had a similar perception from different angles, but said that, um, you know, we really need um, a change in land use. We have, if we look at global scale, not not sort of all all done, but a good a good step for, forward uh, in terms of renewable energy. It sort of landed in the center of uh, of society, 
same as you know making some progress in, in new mobility um but one of the most critical but least understood challenges really is land use and i'm not only talking about agriculture but also conservancies nature in general um and we rather destruct it because we assume it's for free um and this will actually not only is a huge risk for mankind but specifically for business and but this is not not seen yet as such so we said okay let's let's approach this slightly different let's not try to come up with the next smart uh, sustainability assessment framework um but rather try to fill this gap to to see okay what sort of financial metric is needed to actually show that all these efforts all these great companies from the uh, organic biodynamic space do um that this is actually not a financial sacrifice this is not something you can only do if you make solid profits but this is actually creating corporate value because it's investment into business continuity it, that's in engaging for nature is creating value also as a as a message to the world it's not a sacrifice it's not you know a cost a burden a you know um you you need to you know you say to stop eat meat you need to stop flying you should have less fun you know it's no it's the opposite it's it's like engaging for nature it's it's creating value it's life it's fun it's future yeah um and but to also boil this down to the economics so so that's basically when we said okay let's start a new company the land banking group and the first product of this is uh, landler but um the whole land banking concept is is built around um, these initial talks we had with chartered accountants and and banks who actually said you you could book expenses you could book investments into nature differently um, if you provide different types of data but like and if you do so you would actually be able to account for those spendings as assets as intangible assets on the balance sheet rather than costs um, and the, on the PL. And that maybe sounds like a little bookkeeping trick, but it's it's quite a fundamental change because all, all of a sudden you're not just buying herbs or cereals or fruits more expensively um, because you, you transfer your supplies more money so they can build up humus, but you actually have more or less the same procurement cost as before. Um, but these these costs you have, they are considered an investment and you can book them on the balance sheet. You all of a sudden have a stronger balance sheet. You get better credit ratings, easier access to capital. Um, so it is, quote, CFO of a multi-billion company we now work with. That's okay, this will change the game. Now all of a sudden, um, using money for sustainability is adding value and is not reducing our profit. That's just changes the whole game. Um, so um, we basically built a tool around this, which is basically an investment platform where we measure, where we document the impact of investments into supply chain resilience in such a way that those investments can be booked as intangible asset. And for this, um, we had to embark on new technologies, mostly involving, uh, or involving um, remote sensing, so satellite imagery, AI, and some ground truthing, um, because that's the only way you can actually um, generate outcome-based measures at scale also in a cost-efficient manner which are then accepted by the chartered accountants um, because they are sort of um, reproducible scalable etc so that's where we stand right now um, we have the first 10,000 hectares under management um, through our through our early customers um, the first 10,000 hectares as assessed the first uh, 
um, investments are done. They're currently, as we speak now, under uh, financial audits for the annual accounts 2023. So we hope uh, we will have in a few weeks um, the first precedents where we really have signed off annual accounts, which show that payments for ecosystem services, payments into the supply chain to build up humus, increase water holding capacity, sequester carbon, etc., that these can be booked as corporate value, creating assets rather than just um, costs. So that's pretty exciting. It's still pretty abstract, but, um, but it uh, is a nice complementary sort of exercise to, on the one hand, still being busy visiting farmers, uh, helping them uh, building up soil fertility with composting, but really then show this is, this is not goodwill. This is, this is a sort of hard economics. Um, and I think this is where we also need to get. No, we were introduced almost a year ago and you shared this idea with me and I was very excited, but it wasn't until uh, I heard my vendors, uh, these successful European companies uh, over 106 years old in some cases, uh, sharing that they'd started using your service uh, unsolicited. We hadn't talked about it and that's when I knew it was uh, absolutely becoming a reality. So very excited for you, very excited to hear uh, the report in the coming month or so. Um, can we get more into the the actual technologies being used, which uh, the, the satellites, the uh, computer vision, the, the microphone arrays, all the different technology that's used to actually make these assessments? Yes, sure. So um, I can just give you a couple of examples. There's probably tons of uh, what, what it's called MRV, so uh, measurement reporting verification technologies. Um, there, like at my time at Soil More, when I was still a consultant, we also were approached by lots of those uh, um, remote sensing service providers, but none of them really convinced me because either the spatial resolution was not good enough or the temporal resolution wasn't good enough, or at least not for farming environments. Um, but really recently in the last four or five years, this has changed dramatically. So through um, companies like SpaceX and others, if you like them or not, but um, just the amount of sensors up there increased dramatically, like the satellite launches increased, uh, like, uh, I think, uh, 15 fold or so per year since 2015, the, uh, AI processing machine learning processing capacity increased uh, 300,000 times. Um, so, uh, meaning you have better data, more frequent data, higher resolution and more processing speed of this terabytes of, uh, of data, which are generated. Um, so what took, let's say, a PhD a couple of years ago, uh, like a three-year research, um, um, is now happening within seconds. So what you what you basically could do um, is um, you basically only need to upload your shapefile, like a polygon, like uh, it's basically the yeah the, the field. It's a it's a digital format. You upload this, and then. Um, you will get a, what we call natural capital account, uh, which is filled with uh, remote sensing data. And one concrete example, for instance, is um, is water or soil moisture, water holding capacity, which we measure. There you can go back um, about four or five years, um, because since then, this new generation of satellites are up there. They're screening basically every two, three days, um, every plot of land with a resolution of um, one hectare, which is 100 by 100 meters. Um, the, uh, the planet, every plot of land in the radar spectrum. And the radar has an echo, if you wish, or the, or the um, like through the radar, in the radar spectrum, you see 
um, the soil moisture in the top 30 centimeters um, roundabout. So uh, basically what you see with a asset measurement, a time series of every couple of days, you see how the soil moisture and with it water holding capacity in a plot of land um, evolves over time. And that's that was one of the first things which I did. I, you know, I just uh, went on Google Maps to all these places I visited in the last 15 years um, being a consultant and preaching to the world that if you apply compost, you know, um, you will better survive the next drought. And then I just checked the fields where I knew where I've seen with my own eyes and actually physically with my own hands applied compost uh, and knowing the neighboring fields, which always made fun of us and said, this is like total nonsense. And just compared the two, how they how they developed over the last five years and beat in South Africa, which is drought or even in, in Germany in some states uh, where we have severe droughts in the last years, there you just see how this one field which received composting, cover crops, et cetera, and diversified crop rotation just performed significantly. I'm saying, talking about 20, 30% better than the neighboring field. And you, you can really do this fence comparison. Like you see the, the one stop, the front field stops here and there's the next, and there you see um, a difference how uh, with the start of implementing those practices, there's a significant um, better performance in terms of uh, water holding capacity, but also then of the actual moisture, which is in the soil, despite of a drought compared to the neighbor, neighboring fields. And similar stuff we saw in mob grazing, um, how actually this high intensive um, mob grazing um, method actually really stimulated um, biomass growth and with it root growth and with it increased carbon and uh, and uh, and perform better in um, in the dry periods in uh, in South Africa, for instance, um, where you have on the other hand pretty intensive uh, uh, and uh, yeah uh, grazing methods, which uh, which did you, nature. Did you coordinate with the Savory Institute or otherwise uh, on that? Yes, we are in contact with many uh, many of them. Ob- like our our ambition was to not you know talk to them based uh, on powerpoints and what ifs but really come with results which we only have since a couple of months uh, so really to, to first have results and then uh, approach them but yes we are in contact with uh, with many of them and then Wonderful. on the other on the other extreme um, on the other end in terms of biodiversity um, um, you can do there a lot in the in the infrared spectrum, which uh, basically, well, it infrared sees the energy absorption from the top. It has even a higher resolution, 10 meters, um, where you see uh, sort of energy absorption absorption as a proxy for photosynthesis, and this again as a proxy for for biomass production. How um, how uh, a crop rotation diversifies um, the above ground biomass and, uh, and then also the species richness, how diverse, um, let's say, the above ground biomass is, which then can be complemented like what we did in Laos and coffee with, um, with, um, uh, uh, with uh, camera traps and, um, and voice recorders um, plus uh, eDNA. So you basically can see how as a result of a habitat structure change also um let's say the uh, the fauna changes um as you know corridors of trees evolve then you see like how uh, the amount of insects of birds etc um really developed exponentially so there's a lot of stuff not that technology can solve everything but as this technology is is there anyway why not use it and then maybe also just for the um just for the minutes um i'm actually personally and emotionally and spiritually um i think uh pretty pretty against um putting a price tag on nature i mean how dare we to do so yeah 
Um, but on the other hand, uh, Mother Earth is burning if you wish, uh, and uh, and we have only a few years left. So uh, obviously, dollar signs and euro signs open a couple of doors to to uh, to accelerate the transformation towards more regenerative land use. So this is where I found my peace of mind. So hopefully, we can really use this as a as a accelerator to really show this is this is not just something of some crazy you know uh philosophists who, who follow some you know new ideas but this is really at its core the economically most viable option and there's a, the technology out there to prove it thank you very much it's uh it's it's a very exciting idea and i look forward to watching it continue to grow and develop um kind of in closing i just kind of uh, want to come back on what i think i understand um are we saying that quantifiably you're showing that biodynamics is a superior uh, practice? Um, having seen so many farms, uh, biodynamic farms, organic farms, regenerative farms, conventional farms, um, I would slightly rephrase it and say that uh, that farming systems, which are farmed by humans, by people who really like follow the context-specific best available practices, which yes, includes biodynamic farming, but that these are superior to others. Um, I just realized that sometimes the the label, which is on the door of a farm, doesn't necessarily say what's happening inside. Um, not criticizing auditing or anything, um, <laughs> but, but I think um, to be also a bit more inclusive, I've seen so many really good uh, farmers who never heard of biodynamics, but they sometimes farm more biodynamically than, than others who are certified. So, um, so just if to you um, could, if you could point us to some of those indications, what are some other practices uh, or and or uh, regions where you've seen uh, exceptional performance? Um, in India, a lot in the small scale space, uh, but also um, you know it's those small or uh, sometimes larger signs where even this three thousand hectare cantaloupe honey melon farm in Honduras, which is like. Um, conventional at its best, but this farm manager just realized um, that his um, disease pressure goes through the roof. And then he said, or he, he just was a very good farmer and, and uh, realized that uh, in the uh, wild growing bananas around his, uh, his plot, uh, some which are like in, in one plot usually got exposed to cigatoka, this uh, fungal disease, and the others who are like spread in the forest aren't. So he said, okay, why can't I um, implement the same process uh, to my um, to my melons by bringing biodiversity? And he tried and he realized, okay, by actually not having maximum profits by growing every year, year after year melons, but have some other stuff in between, actually uh, reduces his disease pressure and with it spending on chemicals so much that actually it easily compensates for the loss of not selling melons. Is this a biodynamic farm? No, yeah, but it's this, um, or not, not yet, but um, for me, this also counts as um, a conscious driven, okay, I do it because I believe in it, I'm not just following the rules of a certification scheme, right? Um, or I can show you, give you another example from South Africa, who just realized that following moon cycles in harvesting, again, increases product quality, never heard of biodynamics or anything, just by being a good farmer, observing nature. Yeah. Right. So um, that's why I want to be a bit more open than just saying if you're biodynamic certified, then everything is great. Right, totally understand and agree. And I've seen similar uh, 
uh, production in India around the Vrikshara Veda or contemporary Vrikshara Veda that's been as impressive as biodynamics. Um, one last thing, you're, you're in good company here. Uh, is there anything that um, maybe typically you think is too unusual to talk about? Uh, last question, um, but, uh, but, but you think is worth talking about? Um, I think like I, I would have thought of a couple of things probably a few years ago, but what I find interesting about these times, um, is that the crisis is so obvious at all levels, um, that the openness to talk about everything, um, is also there. Yeah. And, um, I mean, Obviously, when it then gets into what I mentioned earlier about the sustainability flower and our our sustainability assessment scheme, um, that the role of culture and spirituality is is important. Um, that's maybe still slightly underdeveloped. Let's say in the mainstream mm -hmm. sustainable farming measure. To I, I don't want to say that um, only with the right intention you can achieve stuff, but like um, in an abstract manner. But um, what I just tried to give as an example with those farmers who just following their instinct or whatever as a good farmer and then from like driven by the intention to to serve this plot of land in the best possible manner and not with the intention just to, you know, get the highest market price because they apply a organic standard that, that this makes a difference yeah, because the ones and I had this just to give you practical experience. Um, I did tons and tons of compost workshops in Africa with small-scale farmers, um, and we we produced some guidelines, some handbooks, which we gave them, and the farmer field school formals, and we went there three, four, five, six times, and most of them just followed it and um, and were able to produce an okay compost. Yeah, but there were always a few who you already realized, uh, like in the first session, they were a bit quieter, they were sitting, standing more in the background, watching you. But very, very, very attentive in a way. And then um, when you would come back next time or other day, other time after, they would say, "I come to my farm. Um, I think I understood what you meant, but uh, I did it differently. You know, so I told everybody not to dig holes and do compost inside, but rather keep it aerated on top, etc. So they they almost did it opposite. Yeah, but we're so much into it with like everything, heart, soul, hands, whatever, and they actually had the better compost at the end. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so that was, right. was on the one hand as an advisor, pretty frustrating, but it proved to me it is something around the intention. And, you know, um, that's obviously nothing you can scale or teach, but it shows that it is important what you believe in, what you're convinced of, um, et cetera. Plus, plus then the whole thing about people um, on the farm um, that, you know, farm and biodynamics um, or any, any future proven farming system is not just ecologically. I mean, it's good if you if you are like uh, if you work with nature, but it's you, you must also think of the people and like if they aren't motivated, if they don't have access to education or whatever, if they're not paid well, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So it is right. unfortunately a complex organism, uh, if we like it or not, and if we only approach it in a simplistic manner, it won't work. Yep, all the planning in the world is worthless without a healthy social system. So uh, thank you, Tobias. Uh, Tobias, the land banking group, uh, landler.io. Uh, thank you very much. Look forward to seeing you again soon. Yeah, thank you very much.